Have you ever seen uh, a baby that was getting put in grass for the very first time? I brought a picture. This is really funny if you look up videos. This is from a video online that you can watch. But you see, it's just like this compilation of these babies where people are like lowering, trying to lower them into the grass. And they're just like, no, 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 no. You know, put their legs up. And then some of them are sitting in the grass. And they're, you know, they can't really lift their legs very much. But they're sitting and they're uh, just lifting them as good as they can. They're just like, I don't want my legs in this grass. And that was, I didn't know this was a thing. And when, sure enough, when we put Hudson in the grass like a month ago, he was just sitting there like, what, he's trying to keep his legs up and out of it. And so this you know, little picture of this baby that's just like, no, I do not want to get in this grass. And it you know, prickles and it tickles and so they lift up their legs and you can go, it's I think the YouTube video is like babies reacting to grass or something. So you can go look that up in your spare time. Um, but maybe, you know, part of me was like, you know, that'd be a really good way to start um, today because uh, it puts us in a nice light mood because we're going to talk a lot about confessing our sin. As we read in First John, it talks a lot about our sin and bringing it into the light. And when it comes to the topic of our sin, a lot of times um, we look like babies avoiding grass because it's just like, I do not want to talk about my sin. I do not want to talk about what I did wrong. I, it's uncomfortable. It's prickly. Probably not tickly, but it's like, this is just uncomfortable. I don't want it. So we do everything to avoid talking about our sin, how we failed, what we've done wrong to people. We just avoid it at all costs. And when someone starts to tell me something I've done wrong, little alarm bells go off in my brain and in my body. You know, you might, I might start getting tense. I might start getting like these butterflies in my stomach. Of, like this person's telling me this thing I did wrong and it feels uncomfortable. I just don't, you know, I don't want this. Put my, you know, little leg. I can't do that. Babies are incredibly flexible. And strong, like look at the ab power. Anyway, but you know, if I could, it's just like I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want this to be brought up. And in my brain, I'm thinking of every reason possible to show that I didn't do the thing that they're saying that I did, or at least show why I shouldn't be held accountable for it. I did okay, I did that, but I shouldn't really be held accountable for it. It's not my fault. I defend myself. I blame somebody else. Well, you did something first. Well, you did something worse. Well, whatever it is. Or I, I blame it on stress or having a bad day or I just want, can you just let this go and can we just move on? Or I tell them that they do it too or you did something worse. You know, so every reason possible to be, I don't want to be held accountable for this. You know, it's, you know, it's like lifting up the, I just, you know, at all costs, I just want to stay out of this just like the babies in the grass. We don't want, I don't want my sin to get pinned on me. I don't want me to be held accountable for it. I don't want to be told or admit I did something wrong. And how many of you can relate to reacting to somebody coming up to you and saying, like, hey, you know, I want to tell you about something you did wrong. I want to tell you about how you sinned, or I want to tell you about this failure in your life. How many of you react in some of the ways um, that I talked about? We'll use every excuse and tactic in the book to keep from admitting that we're sinners, that we're sinful, or we sin. Like, I didn't do this thing wrong. We just cannot handle it. It's just, you know, like babies avoiding grass. When it comes, we have trouble hearing someone tell us we've sinned or we've made a mistake. And so I just want to take a little time. Why do we have such a hard time, have such trouble hearing that we've done something wrong? What is it that makes us just be like, I do not want to hear this? Or what makes us defend ourselves or blame, or blame other things? Why do, we, why do we do that? What are we afraid is going to happen? Might be embarrassed. Don't want the accountability. Don't want accountability. Is that how you spell embarrassed? Mm -hmm. So many R's and S's. <laughs> Don't want 
We want accountability. Yeah, we don't want to be held responsible for it. And be painful, like if someone's sharing that you hurt them by doing something. That you hurt them? Yeah. It's painful to hear that you hurt them? Okay. It hurts your pride. Hurts our pride. We, we feel like uh, we failed to ourselves. Feel like we failed. Yeah, when somebody tells us, "Hey, you did this wrong," or "You sinned," it's like, "Oh, I failed. Like I was I didn't mean to do that," or maybe we were hoping they wouldn't notice, or whatever it is. Attacked. Yeah, somebody, whether people come at it in a good way or a bad way, we might feel attacked. We might be scared about what they think of us if we admit that it's true. Yeah, if I, if I admit, yeah, I did that, we might, we're scared of what they'll think of us. Which is kind of weird because it's like, well, they already know we did it because they're telling us we did it. But, you know, in that moment, it's like, well, no, I can't, you know, I got to somehow cover this up or. Move it away, scared of what they think of us. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing something wrong. It might have uh, might surprise us, or we didn't realize it, or if somebody tells you, you might just be surprised. Like we don't realize that you know, like somebody tells us you did this, you know, you hurt me or something. We're like, no, how could that have hurt you? Or yeah. Surprise shot. Yeah, it's a pretty good list for why we have a hard time somebody with somebody telling us we've sinned or done wrong. And at the root of this problem is what we believe about God. Uh, when we have trouble with somebody else telling us, you've done this wrong, you've been sinful, um, the reason we respond poorly to that is because we don't know how God is going to treat us when we've done something wrong or we've done something hurtful. When we hear someone tell us we've done something wrong, we think they're against us and we can't handle them being against us. And deep down, we think God is also against us. If, if this gets pinned on me, this person is against me, and this it all ties back, whether we realize or not, it all ties back to whether we see God is against us or for us. And the reason I bring that up is because we're going to be um, for... Uh, four weeks, we're going to be in a series called For Us. If we were believed that God is really for us and not against us, that would completely respond how we respond, or completely change how we respond to people pointing out sin or people pointing out we've done something wrong or that we've hurt them um, because it would completely change how we're relating to God and seeing that, like, well, God is completely for me even though. I'm sinful, even though I make mistakes, even though I'm imperfect, even though I, I fail all the time and do things wrong all the time. And so we're going to be in a series on forgiveness called For Us, um, Enjoying God's Forgiveness Through Jesus. Um, and we're doing this series as uh, a bit of an, in, it's very important, but it's sort of an in-between point, because Jesus, when he was on earth with his disciples, we saw in the last chapters of John, he made it very clear, if you love me, obey my commands. Okay, so that's the bar, um, which he doesn't say because he hates them. He says it because he loves them. I, he is his extreme love for them. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He's defining what this relationship looks like. And yet, 
the disciples, as we see, fail uh, at loving him perfectly. Um, and they continue to do so. And all of us who say, like, yes, Jesus, I love you, we also fail at loving him perfectly and obeying his commands. And so what do we do when we fail at obeying his commands? What do we do when we sin, when we fall short? And so we need to reflect on that. But Jesus also told them, he said, I'm going to send you into the world to proclaim this message of forgiveness. This is what has happened with my death. I have accomplished forgiveness for you. I've paid for it. I've paid the penalty for your sin. Now I'm sending you to proclaim forgiveness in my name. But wait, you, have, you can't go yet. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. I will be with you in this. I will send the Holy Spirit. You can't do this in your own power. You can't do it alone. I'm going to clothe you with power and on high. And then they wait uh, until the day of Pentecost, and which is, I can't remember if it's June 16th or something like that this year. And so between now and then, um, they're waiting for God's presence. Um, and on Pentecost, we're going to start a series in the Holy Spirit. And so as we're waiting to talk about God's presence through the Holy Spirit, we're going to sit and contemplate what has Jesus accomplished for us in forgiveness? Maybe very similar to what those disciples were contemplating too. Jesus has died. We're going to proclaim this forgiveness. We really need it. The nations really need it. And so they have these, this time when they're waiting before they get sent on their mission. They get to think about this forgiveness um, they be, that they've been given um, and that we've been given as well. And that we're offered and that we're sent out um, to just proclaim to, a, to the world. And sin is kind of a dirty word. We need forgiveness because we've sinned. If we hadn't sinned, we wouldn't need forgiveness. And without sin, forgiveness isn't necessary. And every person in the world is a sinner. And the question is whether you're a forgiven sinner or an unforgiven sinner. There's the only two, two categories, forgiven sinner or unforgiven sinner. Everyone is one, um, and, so everyone, and everyone needs forgiveness. And so you may be wondering, what is sin? How do we define that? Um, when sin in the Old Testament is used in like a non-religious way, it's uh, in this passage where there's archers and it says some of them uh, I can't remember the exact wording but it's basically they're archers and some of them never miss the mark they never miss their target they never sin and so sin um, is missing the mark it's missing the mark of what God has called us to and uh, what's the mark it's well just two ways you can define sin it's doing things our way instead of God's way um, it's like here's the mark it's God's way and we do things our way, so we miss the mark. Sin is doing things our way instead of God's way. Or, another way to say it is, doing what God says is bad and failing to do what God says is good. Doing what God says is bad and failing to do what God says is good. Doing what God says is bad and failing to do what God says is good. And we can sin in thought, we can sin in our words, we can th sin in our deeds by what we've done, or by what we've left undone. That's one of the famous um, confessions in, in the church that a lot of Lutheran uh, and Episcopal and Anglican churches use. It's sin in our thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. This passage we're looking at today, 1 John 1, 5 um, through 2, 6, may surprise us at what it says of what hurts our relationship with God. And it may seem kind of counterintuitive, and there's a lot at stake. And we're going to, as we go through it, we're going to break it down into two sections. And here's the two sections it's going to be. One talks about confessing sin openly, and the other talks about leaving sin behind. And these two things are what cultivate fellowship with God. They're what cultivate a relationship with God. They're what brings us close to God. And without confessing our sin openly, without leaving our sin behind, we can't have fellowship with God. He just makes it completely um, plain. And so he, John says... Um, he says in the first four verses, he says, My greatest desire 
so that you know God deeply. My greatest desire is that you would enter fellowship with God. He said, this is what I'm doing with my life. I'm telling people about Jesus so they can enter fellowship with God. And he says, it's not just that you're entering fellowship with God. It's like you're entering fellowship with me and other disciples who are in relationship with God. And so there's this community he wants them to join into of these disciples. And hey, we all are in relationship with God. We're all in relationship with the Father, with the Son. Holy Spirit's been given to us. And he says, I want you to have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with God. So he says, my big goal is that you would know God, that you would have fellowship with God. And then he says uh, that actually the thing that might be surprising is that um, often we think we've got to keep our sin hidden if we're going to have fellowship with other people. If people see me as a sinner, if God sees me as a sinner, this relationship is done. And he actually says the opposite. That's what hurts your relationship with God. That's what hurts your relationship with others. If you try to hide everything you've done wrong, if you try to hide your sin. He says the only way to have fellowship with God, have fellowship with other people, is if you bring it out into the open, if you bring it into the light. And so there's a lot at stake. And so we're going to go through, um, cover these two things. So let's first cover confessing sin openly, having fellowship by confessing sin openly. And this uh, we see in uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 5, and extending into chapter 2, uh, verse 2. So the first thing he says is this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So here's the message, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so that's his first summary phrase, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And light is a metaphor that can be used um, in two ways. One is light reveals things. Light reveals things that were once in darkness. It makes it so that you can see them. And so light has a revealing effect. It's a, it's a metaphor for revealing something. Uh, but light also uh, is, has a, the connotations of, of purity and goodness. You know, light versus darkness. And so light can represent something that reveals stuff. It can represent something that's pure and good. And so what he's about to say uh, is basically, I mean, you guys probably, if you've planted things before, or even if you haven't, you recognize these little things. What will, what will this tell me about this plant? What kind of type what of seed? Kind of what kind of plant? Oh, laurel. Look, the laurel's catching. What kind of light it needs? You know, it tells you all kinds of other conditions for growth, what plant, what kind of plant it is. Um, I think Carol and Christian said that in Josue. Um, and then it tells you all this size spacing, how far it's be, sun exposure, water, and tells you all this stuff. Um, but exposure, uh, you know, this one says full sun, which is like, whoa, really intense. Um, but if you, so then if I tried to take this plant and tried to plant it in the darkness or even in like, you know, 50% shade, it's not going to do very well. And it needs to be in full sun to have, uh, have the growth it, it needs in order for it to survive. And what John's about to tell us, he's saying like, if this the plant, if the thing we're trying to grow is our relationship with God or our fellowship with God, he's saying it needs full sunlight. It needs full sunlight. You can't be in the shade. You can't be in the darkness. If you want this relationship this, to, to grow, you want this relationship to live um, and continue on, it needs to be in the light, in the full sun. And so I kind of thought it'd be, you know, so as you're planting stuff this spring, this summer, or as you're seeing stuff grow, and think about what does that plant need? You know, there's, everything needs stuff. You can remember, oh, yeah, my relationship with God needs things too. It needs full sun, needs full light. And basically, um, if we kind of drew two circles, like there's kind of the dark, there's the darkness circle, 
dark, that's not nearly big enough, but we'll just point to it later on. Darkness, he's going to make this distinction of what is a, what happens in the darkness, what happens in the light. Um, in darkness, there's death, and the light, there's life, is what he's going to say. And so he says, his first thing he says in verses 6 to 7, first he'll say, he gives us these three barriers to fellowship with God, and then he gives us the positive of it. So his first barrier is this in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so walking in darkness can mean a couple different things here, but here it seems he's emphasizing the, the purity, the goodness part. If we're walking in darkness, if we're living a life of sin where we're just like, I like sin, I want to do it, I don't really care what God says, and I'm walking in darkness, he says, if you were doing that and you say, yeah, I'm in relationship with God too, he's saying, you are lying. You, God is in the light, and if you're walking in darkness, if, if you're here in the darkness, you can't have fellowship with God because he's in the light. And so he's saying, if we live a life of sin, a life where we're just focused on sin, and that's our lifestyle, that's the theme of it, and we don't care about leaving it behind, then he says, you're lying. You're not in fellowship with God. But then he says, uh, the, second, the second positive part is verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And notice what he's about to say. What does he say next? Does he say, and we are perfectly obeying? I think what he says next is kind of surprising. If we walk in the light, that means we're perfect. That means we're never sinning. If we walk in the light, that means we're doing everything right. We're never doing anything wrong. No, what does he say? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I think sometimes if we look at this, we're like walking in the light. Man, I never do things perfectly. But what does he say? He emphasizes here walking in the light. Um, when you're in the light, you're sin free. Um, part of it is because you're leaving sin behind. And part of it is because you're confessing sin openly so that you can be forgiven by Jesus. He says if you're walking in the light, if you're in fellowship with God, God's taking care of the sin. You're leaving stuff behind. You're like, I don't want that a part of my life. And then whatever parts are still popping up, um, I don't know if you want to call them weeds or whatever you want to call them, um, they're like getting taken care of because Jesus has sacrificed himself for you. He, forgiveness is happening when we're walking in the light. And the second thing he says uh, is in verse 8. Here's the second barrier. So the first is walking in darkness. That's a barrier, um, which just means practicing sin. Verse 8 is, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And the reason he says that is because he, he's, some of the people uh, that are giving this congregation trouble, um, they would have responded. He's saying, if we walk in the darkness, we don't have a fellowship with God. If you're making your life about sinning, you don't have fellowship with God. And some of the people that are giving this congregation trouble would say, yeah, but we don't have any sin. So that's not a problem for us. And so this is his response to that. Um, okay, you're saying you don't have any sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we, and so he's saying this person deceiving themselves or being led, it's kind of like you're leading yourself astray. Like if you are saying you don't have any sin in your life, uh, he's saying you're just deceived. You're leading yourself astray. You can't, you're not walking in the light. You're not, you're, you remember light reveals. 
Light shows us the truth. Light shows us reality. You aren't walking in reality. You aren't walking in the truth if you're saying you have no sin. You're deceiving yourself. You're staying in darkness. But he says that the positive is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so far, walking in the light hasn't even said anything about how we're supposed to live. Walking in the light, if you walk in the light, uh, what's the first thing he says? He says, uh, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's walking in the light. And now he's saying, okay, uh, there's actually a step we need to take. If we confess our sins, bringing it to light, bringing it out of the open, being honest and sincere and transparent, um, and, and bringing things in the open. Now, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. Faithful means uh, he's told you he's going to do it. He's told you he's going to forgive you. And so you're not going to come to him one time and be like, God, I am sad about this. I've sinned. Would you please forgive me? He's not going to be like, you know what, I'm in a bad mood today. Um, and so next, maybe next time. No, he's faithful to do it. Every single time, God is going to do it. And he's just. He's always going to do what's right. You know, somebody um, who's crooked, um, who's not just, can get pay, paid off. Or they can they'll sometimes maybe do not what's right. But God always does what's right. And he's always faithful to, to act within his character, which is, I'm faithful. I'm just. I'm going to do this thing that I promise I'll do for you. And so every time we come to him, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just um, to do what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we come to him dirty and needing forgiveness and uh, not, in, I mean, if it, and needing him to, to spare us from what we deserve for it. And then God forgives us. He cancels the debt. We don't have to pay him back. And he cleanses us from all righteousness. So walking in the light, um, we bring our sins to the light. We bring them out in the open. It's not like, okay, now I'm all dirty because all my sins are out in the open. We think if we hide them deep in, nobody sees it. That's when I'm clean because it's not brought out. You know, it's like, kind of like, have you ever tried to stuff something that's too big into a bag that's too small? It's like, if I can just stuff it in here and it's like, dude, everyone can see that you got this, you, you have problems, that you have something wrong, that you have sin. Um, just bring it into the light and, you get, and it get, can get cleansed and you can be forgiven. And so thirdly, his third thing he says that is a barrier to fellowship with God is verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now notice that in all three of the barriers, he uses a word connected with lying. Verse, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we lie to ourselves. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And so we're lying to the world, if we say we're just living a lifestyle of sin, we say, yeah, I have fellowship with God. We lie. We lie in that case. If we think we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And if we say we have not sinned, we're calling God himself a liar. If you read this book, you cannot walk away with it thinking, oh, I guess I'm not a sinner. It's like, if you, if you think you're not a sinner, it's like, God, you're lying about what you said, that I need forgiveness, that I need salvation. Uh, I know you sent your son to die um, so I could be forgiven, but, you know, I don't really need that. Like, we're calling God a liar. But then he says, what's the, what's the cure for it? Or what's the, what's the positive to it? Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you 
so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, oh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so he's saying, I mean, he just talked about how do we get forgiven of our sins, but he's saying, I'm ready so that you won't sin. He's like, this doesn't mean like, sweet, we can just do whatever we want because we can just go to God every time we want. Like, you know, I don't know, like some sort of machine where it's like, forgiveness, please. Thank you. Oh, I'm going to go off and sin. Forgiveness, please. Thank you. Like that. He's like, no, I'm writing this because I don't want you to sin. I want you to walk in the light. But he says, if anybody does sin, they have an advocate with the Father. And if you remember, we talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another counselor, another helper. I'm going to send you a paraclete. Same word here. Jesus is the one who is sitting alongside the Father, pleading our case. He doesn't have to plead with the Father. The Father this is the Father's plan. But he, he's the proof. Look, they're forgiven. Like, I've died for them. And now they're connected with me. And I'm one with them. And they're forgiven. And he's the righteous one who died for us. And he says in verse 2, he's the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, that's a good $10 word. If you want to write that down and memorize it or something, um, impress people. You know, just throw that out in some sort of business meeting. Yeah, I think there'll be a propitiation here in the next quarter. And no one will know what you're saying, but they'll be impressed. But basically, propitiation means something that removes wrath. Um, it pacifies wrath. It's a, it's a helpful illustration. It's not helpful to think of babies as having wrath. You know, a baby's freaking out, and pacifier poof, pacifies them. It calms them. It takes away the anger, the upsetness. And so something that's a propitiation removes wrath or removes anger. And God's wrath is an expression of his justice, that he is opposed. Someone who is just should be opposed to what is wrong. They should be opposed to people who break the law. They're opposed to sin, opposed to rebellion, opposed to evil. Um, God is opposed to prideful people who want, uh, who refuse to do as he says. And this is a good thing. We should want a God who is like this, who is going to take care of evil, who's going to take care um, of pride and sin and selfishness. But the problem is that we're all in that category. We all are deserving of God's wrath. If God was just, if he gave us what we deserve, every single one of us get wrath. We get his just justice. Um, we want him to oppose other people's sin and selfishness, but not ours. And we want him to oppose the really bad people, but of course I don't fit into that category. I'm not one of the really bad people. But we all uh, are in the category that have sinned and need a Savior. And if we say that we aren't, this John is saying we're calling God a liar. God, I'm not, I don't really need salvation as much as that person. I don't really need your forgiveness as much as that person. We're calling God a liar because it says all have sinned and fall short. And God's first choice is not for us to suffer under his wrath. The Bible tells us he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desires that all would turn and find salvation. God's first choice is that we repent and be saved. So looking at what we, uh, we've talked, what we've covered is we confess sin openly. But to walk in the light, we need to confess sin openly. And when we do so, um, that's why Jesus died for us. That's, he's there um, pleading our case that I've died for them. They're innocent. They're forgiven. And God freely, generously gives it to us. And we talked about, you know, sometimes maybe we're surprised uh, or shocked. Um, there are cases when it's like, oh, I had no idea I hurt you. 
Um, but at the same time, it's like if somebody points out something we did wrong, it's like, yeah, I do that a lot. Like, <laughs> I'm a sinner. I know I'm imperfect. Like, we, if we got really good at being like, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I sin. It's something I do. I, I make mistakes. I fall short. Um, we shouldn't really be surprised when somebody's like, hey, you did something to hurt me. It's like, oh, man, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. I need, I need God. I need your forgiveness. Um, it's like, uh, if we're going to sin, there's no use denying it. We don't, we don't have to live as if God expects perfection. He knows we're going to sin. And so one way we walk in the light, one way we cultivate, you know, we have a relationship with God that's growing and having fellowship as we walk, or we walk in the light by, where did my thing go? Conf- there we go. Confessing sin openly is the first one. So the next part, which is a bit shorter, is we leave sin behind. So that's in verses 3 through 6. And they say this. Um, and re- he repeats, We know that we know Jesus by these two things. Verse 3, And by this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. <clears throat> and so two ways that we know we've, that we can be assured that we've come to know Jesus, and they're kind of like the same, uh, kind of saying the same thing in two different ways. One is we keep his commandments. Second, he says we walk in the same way in which he walked. We, we do what Jesus did. We're walking as Jesus walked. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We walk, do the same things. You know, not our stride is the same, but our lifestyle the way we live, and we live to please God. We live to love God and love other people. Um, And he says that we're lying if we say we've come to know Jesus, but do not keep his commandments. So that's why fellowship isn't just confessing sin openly. It's not much of a relationship with somebody if all we do is saying, like, yeah, I messed up again. And we talked about that last week. Yeah, I messed up. Please give me forgiveness. Yeah, I messed up. Please give me forgiveness. Um, We have to be wanting to leave sin behind. And we confess sin to be forgiven. We leave sin behind to obey Jesus. And so it says both and. Like we're seeking to keep his commandments, to obey his commandments. But then he says, if anyone does sin, if anyone does fail to keep a commandment, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Um, You confess your sin. So walking in the light means we confess our sin openly and we're leaving our sin behind. And we're in darkness when we deny and hide our sin or when we are just living in sin and have no remorse over or don't care that we're doing it. And so, uh, how do we, maybe we, maybe we kind of covered it. So I wanted to ask this question, how do we typically respond when someone points out sin in our lives? Yeah, I guess we, we kind of covered it. We said this was why we, um, <clears throat> why we have a hard time with it, but how do you typically respond if somebody's like, hey, you did this, thing that hurt me or you did this thing that I think was sinful or you did this thing that was wrong how do we typically respond um, to that um, to get to get out of it how do we res- I guess the way we say it how do we respond that hides or denies our sin is that clear you very defensive defensive that's what I would say so I guess Defensive times two. Two tallies for defensive. Defensive, yeah. 
excuses. It's pretty sweet too. Make excuses. Some of these might feel like synonyms, but. Deflect the blame. Deflect the blame. Blame others. Yeah, I didn't even like blame them. Blame. Well, I did that because you. Blame them? Sensitive. Huh? Um, tell the other person they're too sensitive, maybe? Yeah, so under blaming them, you're too sensitive. Something wrong with them. You know, you know why you think something's wrong with me? There's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Any others? Uh, sometimes you can act like dumb or stupid about it. Like, what do you mean? That oh, what do you mean? Play you dumb. Explain this to me. Play dumb. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, I'm sure those can help. <clears throat> you think of some other things, but we I want us to, as we're as we apply this this passage, I want to walk through how we would seek God's forgiveness um, by actually first thinking about how we would hurt somebody else. Because we we express our love for God by loving others. Um, God says, "Hey, I want you to love me," and then it's like, "Yeah, but you don't need anything from us." It's like, "Yeah, I want you to love others," um, and it's kind of like. A parent, <clears throat> a parents, uh, kids like rebellion um, and sin against their parents isn't by them like necessarily doing something direct to the parents. It's more like, hey, share with your sister. Please don't pull her hair. Uh, clean up. Please clean up your toys. Respect your teacher. And so it's not like the kid is. Some things might be directly to the parent, but it's not like the kid is like doing something you know right to the parent. It's like they're doing things out in the world that are against the parents' commands against the parents' instructions. And so that's how we disobey God and sin against God. It's that and disrespect Him. It's by us hurting other people and not loving other people. And so uh, if you don't have a bulletin um, or if you don't have a piece of paper, I invite you to grab them or maybe Emma can grab them and hand them out. Um, what we're going to do here is just walk through to help apply this passage. So first thing, what's a relationship where you have tension? We've talked a lot about that relationships where we have tension, we're in this tug of war, where it's like, I want this, I need this from you, please give me this. And so what's a relationship where you have tension? I'm not saying a, rela a relationship, well, we'll just start there. What's a relationship where you have tension? You can write down the name, put an initial or a secret symbol if you don't want anybody to see. What's a relationship where you have tension? If you have tension in a relationship, 99% of the time there is sin involved on your part. I'm not saying you started it. I'm not saying you've done the most. I'm not saying you've done the worst. But uh, if you have a relationship where there's tension, there's probably sin on your part. So that's why we're starting there. Um, so next, this, this will help us to, to see what we've maybe done. Um, next, you need to own what you've done. Um, what sin have you committed? How have you hurt the other person? And, and I know you're possibly thinking, yeah, but they did this. That's why I did with my thing. But if you want to move towards no tension in that relationship, you have to let go of the rope. You have to be the one that says, you know what? I've done wrong here. You have to let go of the rope and not have that tension of you apologize first, you apologize first. No, you did this. No, you did that. You have to let go of the, the rope. You need to stop demanding an apology that they fix themselves or that they fix what did wrong. You need to let go of it by owning your part. And so if you feel tension, 
Um, but you're having trouble, like, well, I don't know what I've done. I don't know how I can own it. Here's two questions you can think of, you can reflect on. Have you treated them as you want to be treated? Have you treated this person as you want to be treated? And if you're ever in wondering, like, well, how, do, how should I treat other people? You can go through the fruit of the Spirit. Have I loved them? Have I been at peace with them? Have I enjoyed them? Have I been patient? Have I been good to them? Have I gentle to them? Have I had self-control? Have I been faithful? Have I been kind? I mean, you can think, those are the things I want for me. So have you done those to them? Have you treated them as you want to be treated? Second, have you treated them as Jesus has treated you? Did you lay down your life for them? I mean, this is how Jesus treats us too. This is how we want to be treated. And this is how Jesus treats us. And so if you treated them as you want to be treated, if you treated them as Jesus treated you, and unless you are perfect, which none of us are, um, you failed to do this with uh, them 99.9% of the time. And because you failed, you sinned against them. You failed to treat another person as God has commanded you. And that means that you've sinned against God. If God's told you to do it, he's instructed you to do it, you've sinned against him, you've rebelled against him. And it's hard for us to own things. We can find lots of excuses, and there's three excuses we like to say. I mean, we had these ones we already wrote down over here. But here's three we like to say a lot. Um, they sinned first, uh, they sinned most, or they sinned worse. So they sinned first, they sinned most, or they sinned worse. Maybe we can see what we've done is wrong, but we make the excuse by saying, well, they sinned first, and that's why I did what I did. They're, but their actions did not excuse your actions. You have to take responsibility for your actions. Or we might say, well, I know I've sinned, and maybe I sinned first, but they've sinned the most. They've done the most things wrong. In other words, because they've done more things wrong, you're now excused for what you did wrong. But the amount of wrong another person commits doesn't take away what we've done against them. Or he might say, well, I know I've sinned a lot here, but they've sinned the worst. Maybe we can see, yes, I did the first thing, um, and I did uh, a lot of other stuff, but they did the worst thing. Theirs was the worst sin against me. It was the most hurtful. And as little, as, at least I didn't do something as bad as them. And the gravity of their sin doesn't erase the fact that you've also sinned. And we always believe, we're very good at this, uh, we always believe the other person is uh, guilty of sin, and we blame them for our actions. Uh, or we might use one of the excuses we wrote down earlier. Um, so take a moment and write down, like we've identified, here's this person you have tension with, you've identified, hopefully, here's something I've perhaps done wrong. Um, write down a Take a moment to write down um, which of these excuses you tend to use the most. One of those, one of these ones we wrote, or they sinned first, they've sinned the most, or they've sinned the worst. I use a mixture of all of them. So. Now next to that, or over the top of it, just write down this truth that John tells us. This kills my relationship with blank, the person you're in tension with. This kills my relationship with blank. Because all of those things are walking in darkness. All those things are the opposite of confessing sin openly. And John says, if you can't confess your sin openly, you can't have fellowship with other people. You can't have fellowship with God. And so this kills your relationship with this person. You hiding it. You're not bringing it to the light. It stays in darkness. And so wh what is it you need to own? Um, uh, maybe that's becoming clear to you or maybe it will come clear to you later. And don't make excuses. 
um, and write it down. And now, as I said, recognize whatever you wrote down is first and foremost a sin against God because we're breaking his commands when he says, I want you to love others as you want to be loved. And even more, I want you to love others as Jesus has loved you. And we go back to these excuses um, and we'll, we'll use them with God too. Yeah, but God, I did all these things. And so the, whatever excuses you wrote down, um, write down next to that. You wrote, this kills my relationship with this person. Now write, this kills my relationship with God. Or this kills my fellowship with God. Because if we want to have cultivate fellowship with God, we have to confess our sin openly and not make excuses. So, what you can do this week, and we're going to have a chance to do it in the service when we take communion, you need to take this to God. You've seen, I've hurt this person. It's what I've done. I've sinned against you. You need to take it to God uh, with a broken and contrite heart and confess it to Him openly so you can be forgiven. Um, I was realizing this week um, there's someone my life uh, that uh, that we've had we've talked about how I've sinned against them and they've forgiven me but I realized as I was, I was reading Psalm 51 this morning which talks about forgiveness I realized you know what I wasn't it, talk, it says God is pleased or delights in someone with a broken and contrite heart and he also says that you've sinned against me when you've sinned against another person I realized I was only dealing with sin on a horizontal level I was asking this person for forgiveness and they were forgiving me and then when I read this psalm, I realized for some reason I could cut God out of it. I wasn't going to him and saying, God, I've sinned against you. You called me to do this. You've asked me to, to love this person in this way. And I'm not coming to you with a broken and contrite heart. And if, we aren't, if we're only dealing with our sin on a horizontal level, we're never, ever, ever going to change because it's only when we come into the light that we can have healing and be, have or our relationship with other people uh, and with God can be healed. And I wasn't saying I'm sorry to him or asking him for forgiveness. And so what I did, maybe you have trouble saying, like, I have trouble having a broken and contrite heart before God. I just wrote down all the, um, all the things that I was doing that were against what he's commanded. And it's like, God, you, ask, you tell me to do this, and I'm doing this instead. You ask me to do this, and I'm doing this instead. And God doesn't want our rubber noses in it. He says, bring your sin to me. You have an advocate. Um, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says, I'm faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And God, I think sometimes we might think, I need to beg God for forgiveness. Like I need to, these two things happen simultaneously. We don't need to be like, God, I'm going to leave my sin behind for a week so that I can feel like you've forgiven me. No, it's instantaneous. God is generous. He's eager. He's gracious. He wants to forgive you of your sin. There's, he's paid for it. There's no reason for him to hold it back. And so he wants... You know, walking in the light, confess your sin to me. And sin cuts us off from relationship with God. And we think keeping in the dark will help us. And the, the very thing that we think will keep us safe and that's going to make our relationship with God and other people better, like if they just cannot know about my sin, can't know about my failures, can't know about my shortcomings, that is the very thing that kills our relationship with God and kills our relationship with other people and that keeps us in danger. And sin, think about it this way, maybe this image will stick with you. It's kind of like having a dead corpse in your living room that you've covered with a blanket and think nobody notices it. Everyone comes in, you're like, so glad I got that corpse covered up. And everyone's in your living room and they're like, it smells like there's a dead corpse in here. I mean, everyone can smell our sin. Everyone can see our sin. I mean, everyone, I, I'm assuming all of you can see that I'm not a perfect person, that I have shortcomings and I have failures. It's like everyone can see it. And if we think we're hiding the dead corpse under the blanket, it's like we're, we're kidding ourselves just because it's not out in the open. And so in the light, 
the light is a sin-free zone, and it's not because we're perfect. It's because we're leaving our sin behind, we're leaving it out here, we're stepping into the light. But every single time we do sin, we confess it to God and He takes it away. You know, like something that's fat-free or uh, caffeine-free. It had fat and caffeine in it, and then it got taken out. And the reason we're sin-free is because Jesus cleanses us of all of our sin. And so when we're walking in the light, we're sin-free. As we think about us as a community, just as we close, what if we were a community where we didn't hide our sin? What if we are a community where we're open and honest about our sin and our mistakes and our shortcomings? What if we were so utterly convinced of the Father's grace and mercy and kindness, even when we sin and fall short, that we are free to bring it out of the open and to have fellowship with God and one another? Instead of believing that we need to hide and blame and justify and defend ourselves, which all those things kill fellowship, we think, well, if, they, if this gets pinned on me, they're not going to like me, they're going to be against me. It's like, all those things are what kill fellowship with one another. What if we're a community where we're just like, yeah, it's out in the open, we confess our sin openly, and we, we're leaving it behind. It's like, I don't want to live in this, and so I want other people to point it out. I want people to help me um, come out of it and to live in the light. And what if we're a community that opened ourselves to God's forgiveness and unfailing love so much that we also were expressing that to one another and knew if I tell this person they messed up or if they tell me I messed up or if I tell them I'm sorry I messed up, like, I just know getting out in the open is going to create you know, like this little plant. It's going to be what cultivates fellowship between us and cultivate our fellowship with God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the good news that you are merciful and gracious. Would you let us, as we come to the Lord's Supper, give us clarity about what we need to confess to you so we can receive your forgiveness and experience your grace. In Son's name we pray. Amen.